Welcome to Daring Two, a podcast that finds out how CEOs and entrepreneurs navigate today's business world, the conventions they're breaking, the challenges they've faced, and the decisions that they've made. And lastly, just what makes them different. Well, today's a real honour. I mean, um, I'm lucky enough to be interviewing um, Damien McKinney. Um, he has a background in front of him, um, which is um, to do not only with the brand that he's the CEO of, um, which is a vodka brand. So those of you that like vodka, um, make sure you do listen in because there's more to the brand than just the drink. Um, so he's the CEO of the Stolly Group. And behind him is a... Um, um, a map, I guess, a, a very important sort of recognition of what's going on um, in Ukraine. There is often a thought that when we think of vodka, we think of Russia. Um, you know, I've spent quite a lot of time in Ukraine myself um, in my former career and, um, you know, and do like vodka. But yes, it does often think about um, Russia. And so it's quite an interesting time to be the CEO of a company where people might be misinformed about a brand's origins and, and actually where it is today. So we are obviously going to talk about that. But actually even more interesting, I think, is, is what you're bringing to this CEO at this particular um, point in time, because your history isn't really what I would call the traditional CEO route, is it, Damien? So, you know, let's start with that. Um, somebody that actually didn't grow up in the UK, but like me, you um, probably don't sound very American, but actually probably spend a lot of time in the US, um, but grew up in East Africa, is that right? Or Barbados, well, and spent some time in Barbados. I think <laughs> I want your life. Tell me a little bit about that. I mean, you know, because it's true, I think, that early sort of um, childhood or early sort of experiences sort of guide you. Um, you've been really passionate right now about what's going on in the world. It, it's really important for CEOs to be making a stand on issues that go beyond their brand today. And, and you're one of those kind of forefronts. Do you think that your early career, your early sort of childhood and your influences around um, being in, in, you know, growing up globally has helped that experience? Rita, lovely, lovely to meet you and lovely to talk to you. Um, you know, I, I, life is a full series of chapters, isn't it? And uh, I think you're, that's, you, so your comment around shaping, um, there is no doubt. I, I was born in, in Kenya. I was born in Uganda, but, but I really grew up from the age of a year and a half in, in Kenya right. on a farm just outside Nairobi in a place called Lumuru. Um, and, and first of all, I'd say I, I look back and it was the most uh, amazing childhood in, in many respects. I come from a single parent family as well. So, so it's, it's not all idyllic. It, there's some challenges there. But, but I, I think two things have always stood out in, in my mind. One is, in a sense, the geography and, and, and the life. Um, there is a lovely view in, in Kenya, which is every morning when the sun rises, particularly over the Rift Valley, and I'm sure you've seen movies, the colours are magnificent. I mean, it is just and the smells. And you, just, you just think, wow, this is, life is amazing. And you look around you and you have those big, lovely smiles that, 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 that I, I remember as a, as a child. And indeed, you know, I'm going back in the summer and I, I, I've been working there as well. So, so you, you get this real sense of we can do anything. 
Then, then as you go through the day, imagine this moment where you're in the game reserve and you, you see a pride of lions and they look truly beautiful and magnificent and they're wandering around, um, but frankly, lazy. It's, it's a nice day. And then behind them, not very far away, you'll see the antelope and the zebra and the giraffe and everybody's kind of minding their own business and life is pretty good. And then all of a sudden, the, the, sort of, the lion or lioness will stretch and lick its mouth and say, I, I, I feel a bit hungry. And then, then there is this kind of madness of the chase. And then there's this, this the violence, unfortunately, or, uh, of the, uh, the lion catching its prey. And then the next minute is eating. And then within minutes, life settles back down again. Um, and then at the end of the day, you get a beautiful sunset. And there's this sense of, you know, that we used to call it Swahili, Disturia Africa. You know, these are the way things are. Um, and you have to accept it, that in, that's the world in which we live in. But the beauty about the sun setting is that it sets up for a sunrise the next morning and therefore a chance of a better, a better world and a better chance. So, so you, I think the first thing is I'd say, I, I think I've grown up with this massive sense of optimism and this massive sense of belief in, uh, in the world, understanding, though, a very practical, and that's why I use my example of the lions, that, that these things do happen. It's in number one. The, the, the second thing about that, which has really, really stuck with me, is two words. One is respect, and the other is explore. Um, and, and I remember, you know, again, as a very young, my brother was a, uh, a year younger than me, but both of us were very young. I think I was six and he was five. Uh, and, and one of the, uh, the, 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 the sort of the team on, on, the, on, the, on the farm, one day this, this individual turned up, uh, lovely old man, amazing man, and he had two sacks, two canvas sacks. And in one sack he had a python snake. And he took it out and said, you know, this is all about respect. And he said, when you're on your way to market and you walk to market, typically in bare feet, uh, if you see the python, it's okay. Just walk around the python. Don't worry about it. Go to market. And when you come back in the dark, he'll avoid you. You'll avoid him and everything's okay. And then he took out of the other sack a, a, a cobra. And he said, now this is different. You need to understand danger. You need to respect it. If you see this guy, then you need to take a very wide berth and ideally make sure you never come back near him again because this one will bite and, and he will. Um, and that, and then he went, he didn't say it, but what he then meant was respect, therefore, is listening to advice from people who've got the wisdom. And Mase represents the older ones. You know, we live in a society where, to be honest, at times, you know, the old, old people ignore them. They don't understand. We're young. We know how to deal with the world. And, and seasoned. That, that's the word I use to describe that. Be seasoned. Yeah. yeah. And, it's, and I, learned, I learned a massive, in that moment, I learned that, that, that respect. Now, the reason why I mention that, because that sets up my next chapter in my life as, as a Royal Marine Commando. But in a sense, those two words of respect life and enjoy it, respect danger, respect advice. But it, that once you understand all of that, then this world is for you to explore and really push all the boundaries. Um, so, so in a sense, when it then came to what am I going to do with my life, um, I, I, there was this real sense of I'd like to join um, the very 
be best. I'd like to be part of this best. And I'd read a lot about the Royal Marine Commandos. They were an elite force. And I know in this world, you've got to be careful about the word elite. But elite represented the best of the best of the best. Um, and I thought I'd love to be part of that. Um, and, I, and part of that is because, A, there's a standard, but B, there's a sense of, of performance. And can you live up to that level of performance? And can I deliver against that? So I really want to. But, but here's the second. And, I, you know, like every youngster, I spent time going and looking at various different military and, and other occupations, sponsor career drive. The thing that struck me about the Royal Marines was spending two days down at the commando training center at Limpston. Um, and I met some of the young officers who were going through commando training. And it is very, very intense, as you'd expect. Um, you know, m- night and day, they're pushing you, they're driving you and, and so forth. Um, I sat in the, in, the, in the mess, met all these young officers. And do you know what? There wasn't one of them. There wasn't a shadow of a doubt or commentary or other, you know, that kind of throwaway mm-hmm. comment that, that said, I'm not sure why I'm here. And these were individuals who'd only been in three months, let alone all the other, the, the instructors, those are full-timers. And I walked away clear that I wanted to join an organization where people really believed in the values, the DNA, and what they stood for, and that they were prepared to stand by very high standards and keep driving against those. But there was one extra little bit which really impressed me, was it was not an officer exclusive training college. Now, there'll be Let's people listening. Let's talk a little bit about that. I'm going to just, I'm just going to interrupt you for a minute there, actually, because the reason why is you've actually made, like, I think three really, really um, powerful um, statements that CEOs or potential CEOs of any business around the world should take note of. Um, the first is about, you know, this real sort of, passion and belief in the DNA and what it stands for and purpose. That's never been more important. You see it just by what's behind your background, right? Liberate Ukraine, stand with Ukraine. I mean, the passion of the organization that says, you know, we want to do something that's bigger than us and help support that. So that's number one. I think that's a really important insight. The second that you say is around, but it wasn't officer exclusive. This concept about that you mentioned earlier around and explore, and you, you couple that with diversity, about understanding the differences, I think really is important that you, you bring out. And that I also think is a very powerful um, message. So I encourage people to go back and listen to just your, your snippet of information. I will let you continue on it. But, you know, those two particularly, and I'll go back to the actual, um, the lion, the very first thing that you said when you were talking about the lion, about you know, you kind of wake up and you're not quite sure what to do. And then like, you know, at the end of it, you see this glorious sunshine. But isn't that a bit like being CEO in some ways? You have all those high moments, right? Then those like really like stressful moments. But there's something that makes you continue to do it. So I think three really powerful nuggets. And, and we're going to con- so continue to talk about it because, you know, a career in, um, I said like it was a really interesting career. And, you know, you became a lieutenant colonel very early on. I mean, most people take a lot of time to get to that level. Um, it didn't take you that long. You're clearly somebody that's very, very passionate and, um, I guess, driven in some ways. Um, so tell me, like, you know, leaving. I mean, we'll talk, continue to talk about the, 
the army, but, you know, a business consultant. Come on. Like, you know, I was in the corporate world and said, whatever I do next, it's never going to be a business consultant. Because all the business consultants do is like, they're not in there. They're not in there to like see what really happens. And then I read that that's kind of what you said. But here I am now as a business consultant eating my words. But, but tell me about that. You know, let's talk about like your passion, your conviction, the things that you've talked about, the explore what got you to be a business consultant? Come on. Let me, let me, um, so, so let me just, if I may, I, I, why did I become a business consultant? Well, because I loved being on operations and doing it for real in really simple terms. Um, I, I joined the Royal Marine Commandos to, to go on operations uh, and to be participate. And I, I was fortunate enough, no, nobody will ever say they're fortunate to go to war, but, but I was tested, you know, whether it's Northern Ireland, whether it was several years hunting down drug runners uh, in Central America, whether uh, drug lords, or, or whether it was the Gulf War or, or subsequently Bosnia, etc. Um, I, I spent a lot of time on operations. And, and actually, you know, one thing, the, because I, I love being on the front line, I love doing that. Um, uh, I think I was reasonably good. And in a way, what that points to, and if you're going to give advice to anybody, young, young people to start with, is do what you're really passionate about. Uh, you know, your, your comments is, is exactly right. And I loved it. I truly loved it. But, but, why, did, but why did I really love it? I, I just want to finish this, this yeah. point here because it, it points in a sense to the sort of organization that I would want to be part of and therefore I'm CEO of today, which is an organization which is team-based in the first instance. I mean, I'm really talking about team. I'm talking about the diversity. You know, those pe- people who join the Royal Marine Commandos, whether they join as a Marine or as an officer, go through a form of a selection. It is both physically demanding and mentally demanding. Um, uh, but what they're looking for, and they often refer to this as a sort of 0.1%, they're looking for people, frankly, from all backgrounds. I mean, it never ceased to amaze me how, how people came from, all, whether it was a grammar school, state school, or, or, or public school, came from the north, from the south, different, I mean, literally huge diversity. And yet, we had a common view of, of life. And that common view of life was, number one, was we wanted to be the best and, and, and perform at that level, but we wanted to do things that, that actually made a difference. If that, so just the idea of just going and doing an event or, or, or participating in, in conflict for the sake of conflict or otherwise, that, that was anathema. We want to know why are we doing what we're doing? So there is this, this sort of concept of, of, of a just war in a way. You know, we really were. The why was, was very important. But the second aspect of this team was it was led by people who were expected to, first of all, lead by example. And secondly, often you, you had this term of servant leader. Mm-hmm. Which, which was really important. So, so at no time was anybody given any courtesy because they had the authority. They were given the courtesy because they had the responsibility. Very different. And, and the thing that shocked me most, if I sort of pivot across to, to, to the commercial world, I, I mean, by the way, I made the decision, you know, I was a, I was a young, reasonably successful officer, you know, who'd, who benefited because I was passionate. I had some amazing um, mentors 
you know, who'd given me opportunities. And I think that's a big thing. You know, I look back at individuals who, who say, go on, I'll, I'll, why don't you have a go at this? Why don't you do this? Promoted in the field when I was in, 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 in Iraq, just literally suddenly I was told you're promote, we're promoting you. Um, I think the conversation went along the lines of, uh, Colonel Graham Dunlop, who's a CF40 commander said, I'm under pressure to move and take over because this is such a big job. What do you think about that? And I looked at him and said, I can't remember the exact language, but it was something like, um, uh, no, leave me alone because I would like to do this. And, and what was wonderful about him and therefore many of the officers I served under is they were secure leaders. So they didn't have egos. They didn't have to feel. So I'll never forget. He said, OK, I thought that's the case. Go on, you do it. You can do this and be promoted. So so I benefited from, from all of that. Um, so so I literally, as a kind of 35-year-old, sat in a bar in Northern Virginia and just worked at just to say, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? I, I love doing this, but I've been promoted quite quickly. I think I've got four more years of, of, of excitement, and then I'm probably going to end up very much sort of political leader in a, in a big headquarters. That's not to say that the generals don't do a great job, but I never aspired to be a general. Um, I just love the idea of, of being on operations. And I probably read too many Richard Branson type books um, to think, well, wouldn't it be great and cool to be an entrepreneur and be in business? So that was it. I made a decision. I, re- I resigned the next day. Um, and within six months, I was out. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll be a consultant for a year. Uh, focusing on business consulting because I think, you know, I've, I've designed strategies and I've executed them and so forth. And I had an initial business degree. Um, and then I'll get a real job. That was, that was the plan. And then six months in, uh, I was working with a consulting, which at the time I was finding very frustrating because I couldn't see the value that we were adding. I, don't forget. Do you I remember come, the thing that you said to them? Because I did find that quite interesting. Well, I, I, you know, I, it came out. Yeah, well, I'd come from a very mission orientated mm-hmm. environment. And the comment was, you need to understand it's about a revenue stream. Um, and I was shocked, I suppose, from a values perspective. But I, I, I thought the idea here was to deliver an effect. So, so that was my sort of first warning bell. And then the sort of second warning bell was, you know, I, I was a, there was a chap called Martin Akers, who is a, a, a director of corporate banking, um, who's gone on to be a very good friend and, and friend. But, you know, you have these critical moments in your mm-hmm. life where people give you advice. Um, and, and I remember him saying, I was involved in a project, and I remember him looking at me and saying, Damien, you look really frustrated. You, you, you look like something's not right. You know, you're the sort of person who's always smiling and happy. I said, you're right. I said, I embarked on this new life thinking I'd be excited, we'd be entrepreneurial, we'd be taking the world on, and yet I'm bored. And he said, what do you mean? I said, do you know what? It's incremental. I said, nobody is doing anything that's really breakthrough. They keep, I hear all this, let's be breakthrough, let's break all, you know, blah, blah, blah. See, but there's, it's all incremental. Frankly, you're all stacking, making sure you're delivering your bonuses. You're, you're, you've got a target of 7%, you're at 7.5%. There's no risk, of, you're all risk averse, et cetera. And do you know what was amazing? He said to me, he said, Emin, what do you think we could really do? And I said, well, the first thing is, can we just start by saying, imagine what we could really deliver? Mm-hmm. Forget all this business as usual. Get a bunch of people together and say, your team, and say, forget everything. What could we really achieve? And he said, what do you think? I said, well, you could at least do 18%. Uh, and he said, what in a year? I said, no, in six months. And, 
He said, okay, why don't you work with me? We did 32% increase in six months. And do you know what? None of it's complicated. Business is not complicated. Life's not complicated. The first thing we did was put a stake in the ground, a bit like Kennedy's, let's put a man on the moon, and challenge ourselves and say, wouldn't it be great to achieve at least 80%? That's okay. You've got to put that stake. And it's, yeah. it's, you know, I find some of these statements which have no data in it as just, you know, dreams. No, we put it in. This was our commitment to ourselves. Secondly, it's, okay, let's work out a plan. Because the second thing that, you know, Royal Marines, they taught me so much. You know, uh, one of the big things they teach you is, frankly, you could be the fittest, strongest person in the world and then get shot in the first two minutes because you, 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 you're daft, you don't think. So the most powerful weapon you have is your brain, is your ability to not only think, but secondly, is link all the other teammates together and create a supercomputer. So, so, so in that particular case, let's really think through what is our plan? What could we really achieve? Then agree how we're going to work, basically your culture. So get a team together, you share a common culture, common way of working, you have a common destination, and you're very clear on how you're going to get there because you've worked it through together, and then just get on with it. Track it, and inevitably things are going to go wrong. We used to talk about, you know, no plan survives first contact with the enemy or that first bullet that flies. It all changes. It does change, but the mission doesn't. You adapt. You're very dynamic. And again, how do we do that in business? As I said, we achieved 32%. Now, what that then led to was Martin saying, Damien, why don't you do this for real? And that was the moment where I thought, okay, I'm going to set up a, a consultancy with a friend at the time, um, and we're going, to, we're going to set off. And, and I remember literally the May 1999 when we set it off, somebody said to me, what's your, what's, what's your future? And I said, in 10 years' time, we'll be a truly global company. Um, and we'll have offices around the world. And, and you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm bald. Um, in those days, I had some hair. Right, here we go. And, and, I'm, and, I'm, sure, and I'm sure people, you know, they, they kept patting me on the head. Um, and I'm sure that's probably why I lost all my hair in the end, because people kept saying, yes, yes, good idea, but you're never going to achieve it. It was obvious. But, but, but 10 years later, we did. We had offices all around the world. We had established a pretty good reputation. Um, and I sold it four years ago to an American listed company as a global company. And, and, you know, I mean, that successful career has continued. You are now, you know, you've, um, you, know you became CEO of, um, you know, you worked with Diageo. In fact, you took a, you took a whiskey brand. It's actually one of my dad's favourites. Um, but it wasn't performing very well. But if you know Indian community as well, you'll know that Johnny Walker, particularly Johnny Walker Black Label, is one of their favourite whiskies. My dad at 89, it's still one of his. So that you, met, you kind of turn that brand around. You now obviously are with um, Stolly and you, and you were brought in. I'm going to ask you, like, you know, all the things that you've talked about right now, and, and there is a lot of, I would say, um, let's just say, like, I, I, it's probably a bit more than lip service, but, but you know, people are being cancelling out brands today in a heartbeat right I mean because they are more driven about wanting to be associated with what they buy and who they buy from and what companies stand for I mean with the company that you've got right now and it must have been very hard for the people you know like there's been like we've seen a lot of people sort of react obviously to associations with Russia, the mindset that goes, well, this is a vodka, it must be Russian, therefore, like, you know, um, you took a very bold decision, right? I mean, that's a pretty massive decision that most CEOs, 
as you said, I won't say, you know, most, many CEOs, um, they wouldn't want to give up that comfort. I mean, rebrand, rebrand it, like get clear about what you stand for going out. And I think t- today or yesterday you launched a, you know, a commemorative bottle that, that really symbolizes in the colors of Ukraine, right, to really sort of recognize how supportive and the money is going towards helping support people within Ukraine. I mean, I can't even imagine what potential shareholders, investors, or the community at large would have had many different diverse opinions about, is this really a good idea? Should you really be out, you know, putting yourself on the precipice? Yes, we want to say we're supportive, but let's be really careful about what we say and how we say. Um, That doesn't strike me as the kind of direction that you would take. I mean, it's clear from what we can see behind us. But tell me what it's been like for the, for the company over the last several months, right? The last few months. Yeah, no, Rita. Look, it's it's a it's a great point, and 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 you, you know, in a sense, and and thank you for for asking the question you asked earlier on, because you know we learn from our past. We definitely do. It shapes us, and in a sense, you get a chance. So I, I feel a bit like with Solly that that this is that I was given a chance in, in October 2020 by Yuri Scheffler to take all of that. And, how do you now transform an amazing company, an amazing brand into something really great? Um, and, and in the first instance, you know, the thing that I've, you know, I've learned lots of, lots of things, but, but here's another thought, which is that, and it's to your point, there is a tension. People call that balance. I don't think it's a balance because the trouble with the balance is you could, you can unbalance it and make all the excuses, right? There is a tension and the importance is to maintain that tension. You can't let any side down. And the tension is simple. How do I create a, a, Highly, you know, a really well-performing business, generating profit and cash because that's the oxygen um, for further growth and for your people and everything else. Whilst at the same time doing it in a in the right way, in a good way, where you're really making a difference. Um, and and in many people refer to that 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 right-hand side of the balance, if you want to call it, or the tension. In my case, is what many companies call corporate social responsibility, yeah. the life cooperate, sustainability, etc. Um, And over the years, I've had many CEOs make grandiose speeches. But when it really comes down to it, and I I think I mentioned this to somebody the other day, it's a bit like soldiering. It's really easy when it's nice, warm weather to tell everybody how brave you are um, and how you would respond at three three o'clock in the morning when you're freezing cold um, and tired and frightened and everything else. It's it's not quite the same. It really does. You've got to dig very, very deep in those situations. Um, But you've got to be able to do it. You've got to be able to do it in order to deliver the mission. So so for me, when I started with the the company, um, you know, it was very clear that here was a company with a brand, frankly, I refer to as Sleeping Beauty. Um, it was a company that 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 at, the, at early stages when it was first acquired had some greatness, but frankly, it declined. And and, and what, what was it about this company that, one, we lost sight of where we're going. Human beings are pretty simple. Just tell me where we're going. Um, and that gives me some confidence because at least I can you know, visualize it. We didn't have that is the honest truth. Um, we didn't really have a plan. Um, so that was easy. In a way, they were the easy bits. I did a, you know, I, I think the Kennedy Congress speech in 61 is, is, is not just the words, but it's the fact that he said, in order for the United States and the nation now to feel more confidence, we need to give ourselves a challenge. That's ultimately what a vision is. It's give a challenge to great confidence. So that's all I did. But the second then is you better have the right team on board. Um, with the right uh, values. And, and for me, that, that, that's, yeah, and it's, you know, I think it's about getting capability. 
So, so you know, I had some great people in the past, and there've been great people in this country, uh, in this company. So, I don't want to denigrate them in any shape or form. However, today, in the moment, I needed a team that was capable of winning the World Cup. I, I use the soccer analogy. Yeah, I do. I see that as well. Soccer. I'm not a soccer player, but if you want to be in the World Cup or you want to be in the Olympics, somebody said to me the other day, you know, the Olympics is is real. You don't go there to experience the Olympics. It's real and it's raw and it's competition. And therefore, when I looked at my team, I had a lot of 311 players, nice people, but there were 311. They weren't first 11. So, so capability is really important. But the second piece is and that tension is you need the most capable people. But I, I use the word care. You know, I often said to people in an interview, and they looked at me strangely, and I'd say, but do you really care? Do you really care about the planet? Do you really care about the sustainability rubbish? Do you really care? You know, I, I kind of played it like that. Do you really care about the team at the end of the day? You know, isn't it surely about you? You know what? There's many. By the way, they're not bad people. It's just they've decided. But no, you're right. I don't really at the end of the day. You know, they make comments like that. And I was very honest and said, yeah, but I'm looking for that 1%. I'm looking for people who really, really care because it's difficult. It's really, really difficult. But I, if we're truly going to make a difference, if we're truly going to be the company that we could be, then we need everybody really, really caring because we're going to make calls. So so that was the kind of, we went through that session. Now, in our first year, I think we did 38% growth, and it's going, you know, fine. We, we changed a lot of people, and a lot of people said, you can't keep changing people, David, at this point. So I kept saying, yeah, I'm going to. I'll change 100%. Very brave. Good for I you. The right people. And, but by the way, the one thing I believe, I, I really understand, is if you get the right people, you can parachute them into the middle of the jungle, and they can operate straight away. That's right. I've always, I've known that. Again, back to our military. So don't worry. Just be bold and go for it. Now, all of a sudden, you know, imagine this is all kind of PowerPoint stuff. Then all of a sudden, on the 24th of February, bang, there's an invasion. Now, to be honest, you know, most people knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. You know, we may, we may have gone into denial. But the fact is, it was coming. And we definitely spent a little bit of time looking at it, thinking about it. But for me, on the 24th of February, when I, I walked across the office, you know, and I'd had a conversation with, with my wife before this. And I said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to the founder. I call him Yuri Sheffield. He's, a, he's our kind of Steve Jobs of, of Stolly. He's a, an amazing individual. And I said, I'm going to speak to him. Now, I, I know in everything I've, every conversation I've ever had is he stands absolutely against Putin. But you know what? This is the moment. This really, really is the moment. And if there is any shadow of doubt in what he says, then I will resign. There's no, no debate in my mind because this is a moment where I've stood up long enough. We've all as a team stood up and said that this is a moment. Um, we now need to be stunned and be counted. And frankly, when I spoke to him, he was even more vehement than I was um, because I know he's been fighting and he's, he's personally been involved at a, at a very you know, personal cost at times. And then when I spoke to the broader team, the Global Town Hall, there was zero debate because we brought those people together really care. There was zero debate around us unequivocally standing against this invasion and standing for Ukraine and standing for these amazing human beings. So in a way, as a CEO, whilst it may seem like a really tough decision to make, it actually was a really easy decision because we'd already created, I'd suggest, the foundations for that decision to be made in the first place. Um, did it, is there a cost when you make decisions like that? There's always a cost, but there's an upside. And, and, and here's one other 
I'm probably sort of full of stories. I apologize. But one of the stories, one of the things I learned very, very early on and continue to be repeated through my military career was there's always the right decision. It's a question of whether you're prepared to make the right decision. And quite often making the right decision has a cost and a cost could be in morale. It could be financially. It could be a whole bunch of things. But at the end of the day, if ever you steer away from that, then you it will end up it will end up costing you later on. Um, and, and if I just give you one, one uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a crazy example, but I'll give you one. At the age of 13, I started a new school. Uh, it was a boarding school. And I remember turning to my year and saying, look, you know, we were all talking about how awful it was that the 18-year-olds the were allowed to walk around in non-uniform on a Sunday, and we had to wear uniform. Um, probably many people, you know, can have that, uh, can think about that conversation. Anyway, there we are five years later. We are now the 18-year-olds. And I remember turning to the same group of people and saying, this is our moment. We're going to change it. We can change the world. We're in a position now. We can do this. And do you know what? They all said, all of them said, um, but it's different. Uh, we didn't understand. And so one is the kind of sense of privilege and it's yeah. different because we want to enjoy this. And, and by the way, I don't really, it's too difficult a decision to make, et cetera. Anyway, and I remember saying, we, we said it was wrong then. So why is it right now? It's still wrong. And anyway, we managed to change it. But I've had moments like that through my life. And for me, this was one of those where, and I did have a couple of other CEOs phone me up and say, Damien, look, I know you're you know, relatively new CEO uh, in, in, in this industry. Um, mm. But you know, there are implications to what you're saying for all of us, but let alone for, for you in business. And I said, no. Massive kudos, I would say. Massive, massive kudos for you um, and for the organization and for everybody that's, you know, that ecosystem that's around it, the stakeholders, the people that go out and drink it and buy it. And hopefully they're going out more so than ever now, um, doing it obviously carefully, but contributing to, um, you know, where, where particularly this, this this release of the bottle that you've done um, will go to. I think you know your your um, comments are just so important right now at this point in time, particularly you know post COVID, post what we're seeing around the world. You know we've just we're seeing right now as we go into the US, its proxy season is hitting. We're seeing shareholder shareholders and investors like going, we're a bit tired of this box ticking stuff that you guys do, like the sort of the rhetoric. Like give us like. The, the real deal. If you really believe in this stuff, which you guys are showing in terms of like, you, you say you're very purpose driven, you say you're very diverse, you say that you're very into ESG, but are you really? Um, it's voices like yours that we need to see and hear more of, you know? So I think, and I think the lessons that, that you, the stories that you've actually shared are extremely powerful um, for people in executive positions today. And even those, um, seeking to be in those executive positions because it's a lonely position to be in let's not you know let's not like surely go and say like it's great look you get all this money and all the rest of it and like all this glory it's actually quite lonely isn't it oh at really? times really? It, it, of course it is you're, you're absolutely right but it's only as lonely as you want it to be um the the in terms of again lots of thoughts running my through my head and i'll, I'll give you a couple Number one is when I was doing the, the anti-narcotics work, I, I, I said to my wife, look, I don't think I'll ever get shot because 
I've got this bizarre view that most people can't shoot, so I should be okay. Um, but I'm probably going to get set up because I keep catching big people. And it's and actually, at the end of the day, you know, there's a no smoke without fire. They can slip it into my suitcase when I'm traveling and so forth. So I'm probably going to get set up. So I said to her, I said, so, so look, don't worry if I end up in jail somewhere um, because, you know, as long as the Red Cross parcels keep coming through, I'll, I'll be all right. And she said, well, why? And I said, because there are two jails. There's a jail in your head, and then there's the physical jail. The physical jail doesn't worry me. It doesn't worry me because I'm not in jail in my head. And that, it's your conscience that is really important. And, and the reason I say that, therefore, is, look, we're, we're not. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. I genuinely have, and I, I, I regret those, and I've hopefully learned by them. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a series of sort of, you know, hopefully incremental getting better, and I'm still trying to do that. Um, I, I think the same is with us, the company. You know, we're, we're on a journey. We're, we're not, you know, we've, we're trying to embrace sustainability and, and so forth. Um, the, the key, but if I give you the, the example of LGBTQ+, we, we've been very active in this for a long time. We've got a fantastic global ambassador in Patrick, um, but, but you know, my challenge to him and the rest of the team is, please, please don't tell me that we're doing everything we can by simply putting a label on a bottle and putting Harvey milk on it. So I said, that's badging. I said, I said, that's not doing me any. I've got to look at my own conscience and I've got to be to say, what am I really doing? What difference am I really making? The honest truth is, I'm not sure. I don't think I am really. And, and, I, and that's really driven us to dig deeper and say, what are we going to, what are we doing about it? And in a way with the Ukraine situation, it was one thing to make a decision, but therefore the question then is, so what are you going to do about it? And, and I, and that was why in the very first instance, it, there were two very clear agendas. Number one is people, you know, what are we doing about our people? I'm talking about our own employees who had, we had people on the ground, they had families, what were we doing to, at least get them out of harm's way or at least support them in any shape or form, particularly those who are staying behind. What are we doing for our partners, our suppliers and others on the ground? So there was a whole agenda to do with that. And then the other part of it is because I was involved in a refugee situation. I've seen the trauma of refugees who, frankly, have lost everything, everything. What are we doing to help them? Um, and this is winter, by the way. And therefore, for me, trying to find the right partner. And it needed to be not just... This what I call satisfaction charity, you know, where you hand over, you put your money in and you walk away, patting yourself on the back and say, really wonderful. You know, what are we doing to really help? And that's why I loved Jose Andres and the World Central Kitchen, because the way in which he does it, he thinks about nutrition Brilliant. rather than just handing food over. He thinks about nutrition in the sense of morale as well as well-being, but he also thinks about the people providing it. So, so what he'll do is he'll go to restaurateurs, who, by the way, don't have a restaurant anymore. He'll go to people, the suppliers, and by the way, somehow farmers always seem to keep producing. And what he'll do is he'll pay them to actually provide. So he's maintaining, one, their self-esteem, and two, a market economy. So he's doing it in a very uh, independent, rather dependent dependent way. So so for me, that was a really big piece of helping the, the sort of people side of it. The other side of it was, how do we keep, in a sense, Ukraine on the agenda? And how do we continue to, to support? And that's what really, literally, I think it was 
you know, the invasion was on the Thursday. On the, on the Sunday, I spoke to Tim, who's I had a global innovation, and said, Tim, c- can we get a bottle out within the next three weeks where, one, we, we obviously provide money to, the, um, to World Central Kitchen and, and support, but two, we also do it in a way in which we keep the flag flying. Because we also know that very quickly, um, it'll be page three of the newspapers. Nothing will have changed fundamentally, but we're still being bombed and killed and so forth. But we're not carefully goes off the agenda. We have a humanitarian, human uh, responsibility to keep it there. So, so absolutely, that's why we drove this. And then, frankly, the rebrand branding was was an organic decision. The team and the rest of us said, "Look, we need we need to put a bit of distance between us and Putin, uh, not the Russian people." And I've said that many, many yeah. times. I've got some lovely Russian friends. Our recipe for for what I believe is truly the best vodka in the world. You know, I'm not going to give that up. Yeah. In no way I'd ask anybody to give up their their families and, and where they come from and what they stood for. Never. But what we can't do is have any association with Putin and his henchmen and so forth. So for me, it was a very simple uh, with the founder decision and, and with the rest of the team, which was let's just take off the Chennaiya. Let's make it really clear and simple what we stand for and who we are. Hence the rebranding against Dolly. Damien, it's been, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. And so much that uh, like, just warms my heart to hear of CEOs with the vision and passion and and actually um, the boldness and courage that you have and showing servant leadership as it truly is. So, um, you know, I I hope that this goes viral because this is one of the best, I think, for CEOs, potential CEOs, entrepreneurs, young, old, seasoned, whatever we want to call ourselves, um, to really listen to. And, um, you know, I will say it's something I've learned from living in the, U- the US, which we d- we haven't tended to do in the UK, which is to say thank you for your service because, um, you know, that is important. It's always struck me um, how people in the US do thank people that have served um, in the forces in some way because that's, you know, you um, that's a, a very important role. Um, I would love to continue this conversation. We may get you back on to talk about loads of other things because there's so much you could add. Um, and I've got loads of other things that you should be doing. Like if you haven't written a book, make sure you write one soon. Um, but before you go, how if people want to know more about Solid, about what you're doing um, as an organisation, if they want to know more about you and, um, and about some of the efforts, what's the best way they can get in contact with you? Go, well, two things. Just go to Stolly website. You know, one of the things, it's, it's all on there. I've, I've made sure that we've sort of updated it um, uh, all the way through. So, so happy to do that. Um, and then secondly, through the website or, or frankly, through LinkedIn, um, just connect. You know, I'm, as I, as, you know, I think you, I'll have alluded to, I'm the world's luckiest person. I've had amazing people in the past who have tapped me on the shoulder and given me advice as I've gone along. Um, I'm always happy to share. And, uh, and and I wish everybody the very best of luck in their own endeavours. But but please, please, let's make this a better world. You know, and I yeah. think if, if, if I may say it, this, the tragedy of Ukraine, sometimes out of tragedy, you get the, the sun will emerge. And, and I, I've certainly reflected. I, I hope most people have reflected, you know, on on what does it take? As particularly as leaders, and this is you're your focusing on CEOs, this is your moment. Let's not wait for governments to put sanctions on and other people, politicians, to tell us what to do. We have the opportunity, we, if we behave in the right way and we deal with that tension in the right way, we have the opportunity to make this world an amazing place. That's right. exciting. I'm speechless. 
It's a great way to end. Thank you so much for giving up your time today. I know how busy you are and how much um, the company is doing. So we really appreciate you being on the show. Thank you very much. Thanks, Rita. Thank you. Lovely to speak to you. Thanks for listening. Enjoyed the conversation? Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes of Daring 2. Also, check out our website, dareworldwife.com, for some great resources around business in general, leadership, and how to bring about change. See you next time.